0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply.
1: race is on and the 2021 Formula One season blasted into life with the first day of pre-season testing in Bahrain but unusually it was Mercedes in the wars on day one while Red Bull and Max Verstappen set the pace. I'm Ed Straw and joining me to look back at all the action are Gary Anderson and Mark Hughes. Well Gary it's a bit different for you as you're not on the ground here in Bahrain primarily because the Covid restrictions mean you wouldn't be able to get anywhere near the cars anyway so What's the point? But there's been no lack of technical intrigue, has there? Given the amount of stuff you've been writing for the racist website and the amount I've been bothering you today about things.
2: Uh, no, no, lots of lots of technical stuff. But uh, the most interesting thing I think was the sandstorm. I mean, you could have been in the beats there, couldn't you? It was. I mean, that has to upset everything. The wind was 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 quite high level, and and the sand obviously changed the grip levels dramatically. So. Um, yeah, a difficult test for everybody, I think. But you know, we, we saw a bit more of what the cars looked like right at this point in time. If you took a snapshot today, that was that was what we had. Um and their performance was what they had. Obviously, fuel load wise and that we've got really no ideas. But um it was a tough day, so I think that everybody kept their head down and, and you know, sensible laps from everybody, no no stupid mistakes. Um everything looked okay and as I say, it was nice to see the cars fully up to running performance, speed, and technically at that level.
1: Yeah, I'm told that the weather conditions will be a little bit better tomorrow, so we'll, we'll see how that goes on. But Mark, you've also been following from afar while I've been dealing with the flying sand here in Bahrain. Not the ideal conditions for testing, but as I'm sure we'll get to in a minute, there's still a little bit to be learned from today.
3: A little bit, yeah. Obviously, um, pretty wildly skewed by uh, several things, the, the, the sandstorm among them Um to... The wind um and the fact that um Mercedes ended up being sort of um half a day behind everyone else and so yeah it's difficult to gauge everyone else when you you're not sure where Mercedes is at because for sure it's not um at where it, it, it appears to be in the in the timesheets. Um but yeah, it, it we we saw we saw enough um to have some some more um maybe focused questions rather than any definitive answers
2: it's difficult to believe that mercedes are where they are and obviously they had a gearbox problem so they, they lost half a day as such but it did seem that the second half of the day was actually uh, slightly faster than the first half of the day even through all that sand the track there's got a lot of grip so it's not as bad as as somewhere like Cur or silverstone if you got a lot of sand on it but um the one thing i would say is that you know with the wind i think the cars that have got high performance aerodynamics will suffer more. Because the reason you get high performance aerodynamics on the on the car's surface is because you're stressing the surfaces more than other people. You're making them work harder. All your vortex generations all much more uh defined, much more um ad, you know addressed, I suppose you might call it, to to the solutions that you're trying to find from it. And when you get the wind, that's just like turbulence in a way it just hurts a lot more surfaces. So the, the cars that are reasonably benign as far as stressing the aerodynamic surface are concerned, I think, get off better with the wind conditions. So it'll be interesting to see if we do get a calmer day tomorrow, whether Mercedes can just shut the gap down. But it's, it's a, it might just be a learning curve for them. They might have to take note of what happened today, even though it's not their true performance. They might just have to take note of it because it can happen, and it can happen very, very quickly.
1: I think the other thing that was difficult with the wind is it it kind of came and went so sort of one second it would be blowing and then it would just sort of die away then it would come back so it was that sort of buffety wind it was a, a, a sort of tailwind down start finish and a headwind on the the kind of middle straight for one for of a better word so yeah a, a little bit of variability doesn't help. Before we get into the details, for what it's worth, headline numbers, Max Verstappen fastest for Red Bull, 1 minute 30.674, Lando Norris for McLaren second, 0.215 seconds slower, Esteban Ocon third for Alpine, 0.472 seconds off the pace, and Lance Stroll 1.108 seconds down for Aston Martin. 17 drivers ran, 16 race drivers, the exception was Williams test driver Roy Nassani. Obviously Mercedes struggles was probably the, the biggest story, but we know headline times mean very, very little, Mark, and that's probably being generous to say very little. You've been crunching the numbers to try and get a few little pointers. So what have we learned and what what have you been able to draw from that to target your ongoing questions, if you want
3: to look at it that way? Um, well, there was probably um, Red Bull, um, Alpha, Williams did uh, comparable runs on the same sort of same duration of runs on the same tire at roughly the same time and from that we saw an average of a 14 laps of uh just under 137 so a 36.9 for Red Bull um a 38.3 for a 16 lap run from Alpha and a 38.4 from a shorter 10 lap run from Williams um so you know, that that's sort of roughly in the ballpark of uh, where where those teams would have been relative to each other last year. Um so they they're they're the sort of hard points that we have. The others you know, we didn't see representative long runs from um you know the, the, the interesting ones that we'd like to see in comparison to the Red Bulls, such as uh, Mercedes, Aston Martin and McLaren, etc. From um, the various reasons, all on different programmes. But yeah. Um it looked that those those three separate long runs seem to give an average about a relative to to each other where about where you'd expect them to be.
1: And obviously Gary, you haven't had much chance to look at the numbers as yet. You normally do, but you might have had a chance to have a brief preliminary look. Any, anything you've drawn from it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I have had a bit of a look and I, I, I go for the other side from, from Mark. I go for just the out-and-out performance, really. Obviously, fuel load makes a big difference in that, but comparing, you know, comparing things to last year and one of the interesting things is last last year, Hamilton um, had the fastest lap, obviously, pulled position, um, 127.264. And at the moment, it's Verstappen at a, a 130.674. So, there's three point nine percent. I'm going into percentages here because it's easier to say equate rather than lap time. Three point nine percent difference from this year to last to last year's fastest lap. But in the in the race for was the fastest um, at a last year at one minute thirty two point oh one four. So that's five point four four percent. So uh, you know they're in between those two lap times, which is what we'd expect. They've lost a little bit of downforce. Um, the tires are sort of, you know, a bit different, a bit unexplained in a way, what, what the difference really is, but it's what they've got now. So they sort of latched in there to the middle of those two times, between the qualifying time from last year and the race time from last year. I mean, we know when we looked at the test from last year and tried to equate that with fuel loads, I looked at a little bit before this test, you know, um, the Alfa Romeo did run... Very low fuel in in uh, testing last year, so there's no reason why they'll change their strategy this year. So I'm sure they're, you know, they are when they're running for the fastest laps. They're running on a reasonably low fuel load. But interesting, if you take Verstappen's time this year, um, McLaren obviously the second quickest at the minute, only 0.2 of a percent behind uh, Verstappen, and last year they were 1.4 uh, percent behind, and it would be Mercedes. Um, and then we've got uh, the Renault Kamalpain, however you like to call it, at 0.5 percent. Um, Aston Martin 1.2 percent, 1.222 percent actually. And interesting, last year they were 1.212 percent behind um, behind Mercedes. So relatively to the fastest car, very close. Now all these numbers mean nothing because it's day one and a lot of sand and a lot of wind and all sorts of stuff. But you, you go through it and. You know, you end up with Ferrari down there in uh, one, two, three, four, fifth position, one point three percent behind Verstappen, and the last year they were two point one percent. So, I, you know, I think that's sort of relatively they're running the same sort of fuel load those two, and you know, they have made progress, Ferrari, but that's the sort of progress they've made, which is you know point eight of point eight of a percent, which is um, not enough to get them into that battle at the front, really, um, but enough to get them at the battle at the front of the of the second group. So. Again, we need to let more time go on, but um, it's unfolding, I think, that, you know, in my book, that McLaren have made some progress. Um, Renault last year were one of the lightest fuel loads as well, testing in Barcelona. So I think that their time is based on the fact that they're still running low fuel or low ish fuel. Um, Aston Martin's fairly real, Ferrari's fairly real. Alpha have made progress, but again, they're running low fuel. Alpha Torrey. They're a little bit slower than they were before, but I think that would be expected because Gasly ran in the morning, and then uh, the the other guy took over in the afternoon. And he's you know he's he's new. I think he did a very competent job, to be honest, in those conditions. But um, you know he, he needs more time to settle in and just take the risks that you need. And then obviously Mercedes were having a a bit of a mare, but um, I don't think it was a. I think it's a learning curve for them. You know, I think it's it, what they had today was a was a bit of a mare. But it, they'll put that will put that into the the pot and stir it and come out with some solutions. I mean, those last three laps, I think, of Lewis Hamilton's, where he made mistakes on all three of them, similar sort of mistake, just basically couldn't get the you know couldn't get the car to stop, just couldn't get the bite out of the brakes and the tires. Um, they're all it was very consistently bad. But if you look at Max Verstappen, he started this morning. Was the same sort of situation. He had a lot, lot of problems, and he basically thought immediately, "Cool, they're going into this season with the same problems as they had last year." But it all cleared up. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what Sergio Perez thinks of the car because he's—you call him a normal, quick driver—whereas you call Max Verstappen somebody fairly exceptional.
3: Yeah, so it, 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 the Red Bull looked better and better relative to the competition as the track improved. I thought. Um, as you say, it really did look very similar to last year's at the same point, didn't it? At first, with understeer going in, and then suddenly it was spinning. Um, but um, yeah, it, it, as the, the track grip improved it, it, it started to load up a bit more, you could see. Um, but the the Mercedes, it just wouldn't load up at, at all, and it had no traction. and it just looked like a car that wasn't generating um, tire, tire temperature, tire window, was it? Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's another, that's another one of the question marks we've got. We, we, we don't really see, um, Mercedes probably even running in the proper temperature of the, the tire. So it's it, that, that, that can sway things by whole seconds, can't it? So yeah.
2: But you know, that, that, that's their job to get the car there. I mean, if you take this, what we saw with the with the red bull at the beginning, Uh, you know, the understeer, that's what happens when you've got a bit of understeer into the corner, -corner, mid-corner, you put a little bit more steering lock on because you get the understeer, then as you're exiting the corner, you need to straighten the steering wheel up. And at some point in time when you're taking the steering lock off, the front tyre will grip again and that's when it spits the rear out. So, you know, very uh, very often the driver will complain about the oversteer on corner exit, but that is coming from understeer, mid-corner. So you've just got to be very careful. It can all start from oversteer turning in because you're catching the rear of the car and then mid-corner you've actually got to put a little bit more steering lock on and you get the understeer and then on the exit you get the tire, front tyre biting and that spits the rear out so it can be a very complicated balance setup change through the corner that um, that you need to do but Red Bull seem to get on top of it for sure. The interesting thing for me as well was the fact that the the higher rate cars didn't seem to be suffering as much as I expected them to. I thought with this this floor change, the higher rate cars might suffer a bit more. But if you take a general view through the the performance today, the higher rate cars were okay.
1: But it is amazing for Mercedes because we're so used to them just running thousands of laps on the first day out of the box. 48 laps in total they managed, just six for Bottas in the morning. He had a gearbox problem. Then he got out right at the end of the morning just to do a few little... Uh, bits and pieces hamilton 42 laps He had a pedal adjustment there were some balance changes they were they were chasing and then of course the sandstorm can't blame the team for that very unusual for mercedes but gary they were the only team who didn't do a shakedown and i must admit i didn't think that was really an issue because they had multiple teams running their uh, their engine to make sure everything was uh, was running okay do you think it, this is a case that you could say had they done that promotional day they'd have picked up this gearbox gremlin and they'd probably have racked up 140 laps today rather than 48
2: well um yes and no you know one of these things that they do with these gearboxes is get them to sort of learn their gear positions and that all happens sort of on the 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 warm or the installation lap or the the first lap out of the pits and that's really what happened to them so i, I think that the problem was. Was probably caused by a deeper, a deeper problem of the learning of the gear positions, because with this, uh, with the auto sh- auto shifter, the full torque shift, um, you know, when the driver instigates it, the the, the system does everything, and unless that gear position is well and truly defined, it can really make a mess of the gearbox. So, if they went out, um, and the auto the the learning curve didn't didn't work properly, then that could have happened even after a. a, a a demo, or an installation run or it could happen at any point in time after you leave the pets any anywhere. So because you always do that learning curve. So I'm not sure that a following day would actually have got rid of the problem they had. Don't know the problem that they had 100%, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was it. So suddenly they were finding themselves with a potentially a gearbox disaster, but coming from a very small problem. And it's, it just could be software. So in reality, they didn't want to take a risk, so they changed the gearbox because it probably had a couple of attempts at finding the right gear position um, and made a bit of a mess of a gear change or something, um, which you know you can't take the risk on because you can blow the gearbox apart from. So putting a fresh gearbox on during that same period in time, they'd have looked at the software and saw why it wasn't learning properly and done something with it because you know that's what you have to do. So I'm not sure it would have fixed the problem. Might have given them more confidence that the problem wasn't really a a real problem, but uh, they didn't do it, so they have to get on with the best thing they can.
1: Well, as Andrew Shovlin said, their trackside engineering director, it's been a poor start to the season for us today. At least that's something a little bit different because you have to go all the way back probably to 2014 and that first test for these for these engines, remember Gary, yes, hanging around at the pit exit at Horef <laughs> waiting for yeah. somebody to go out and Mercedes did get going and then their their front wing failed, so they, they didn't get so many laps in. So uh, it, it's good to to go back to slightly, slightly different times. I have to say, Ferrari I was sort of moderately encouraged by, not in terms of joining that front group, but Carlos Sainz spoke to him after the session. He seemed relatively happy with the way the car was behaving. It was doing everything he expected within the fact that the conditions are a bit dreadful. But obviously, like everyone, they're not pushing into those last sort of few tenths and really pushing those corner entries. And it's the corner entries where you really hit the limitations of the car. So probably reason for Ferrari to be relatively... uh, relatively upbeat anyone else sort of catching your eye for good
3: reasons or bad mark um i think the the uh the alpha Tauri in the, the the first session um looked really nicely drivable and the mclaren looked nicely drivable um you just just looking at the, the body language of the cars um i think um it would have been when, when by the time uh Sonoda got in it, they had um I think um uh an issue with the, the the fuel fuel pump or fuel delivery, some sort of so it was it was running in fairly detuned form when he when he got in it. But um yeah, it was I mean it was uh, impressive that it, it 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 could do that straight out of the box. Um same with the the McLaren Mercedes and also the number of laps that Ocon put in in the Alpine. Should we talk about
1: a few technical points? The first thing, Gary, the the Alpine, obviously everyone was very interested in how wide that airbox is. You were very uncomplimentary about it. Obviously, there are reasons for it. Of course, there would be. They have put some stuff up higher there, which doesn't sound great for a centre of gravity, but obviously it pays you back a little bit lower down the car, so maybe that improves the airflow. What do you make of that? Is there any any reason to to go that way and would you be worried if you're Alpine because the way I look at it if you're if Mercedes had done that you'd think well they are Mercedes so maybe if they're the outlier they've come up with something if Red Bull did it you might think yeah they might not have implemented it perfectly yet but it's probably reason for that but Alpine you sort of get a a little bit worried when you see them going off the beaten track
2: well yeah I mean obviously there's lots of stuff underneath the the bodywork that we never see but I haven't seen the sort of um, compactness of the the coke bottle area or the side pods that sort of justify the bulge in the engine cover you know the, the, normally the two go together you 've either got them the bits down inside the side pod or you've got the bits up high now yeah you, if you put them up high, you use the airflow from through it's, uh, the excess airflow that 's going in the air box to cool those components. Right? um and if it 's in the side pod, you use the airflow through the side pod. The airflow through the side pod is much better for producing. The airflow reduction through the side pod is much better for uh, producing downforce than any change in airflow through the airbox. So that's the way you would go for sure, but at, but not a you know not at a great cost. You wouldn't want to raise the center of gravity of these cars because you know they're quite well defined as far as the engine center of gravity is concerned, all that sort of stuff. So you can't really have a massive difference. And the last thing you, from a a general car layout, and the the last thing you want to do is just raise it for the sake of raising it. We used to spend all our time trying to lower it for the, you know, and you get a result out of it. And mainly you get a result out of it over long runs. When you've got a lower center of gravity, the tire degradation is better than if you've got a high center of gravity. It'll work on one lap okay. It doesn't really care. And actually, to be honest, high center of gravity can be better on one lap because you, you put more load into the tires. You get them working better quicker. But unfortunately, that has the other the other side of folding away as the tyre gets used a bit more. So maybe their problems are still to come. Uh, and again, it's a bit like the uh, like Williams. You know, they made that part of the car bulbous because you have to get the hot air from the back of the radiator out the back of the car. And if you if you take that out down low, you end up with a lesser Coke bottle solution. So they could have done that, but I don't see the lesser Coke bottle solution to justify it. So. I'll wait, I'll bide my time to see what happens really, um, with it. Um it's it's not the most elegant solution, but to be honest, you know, it's it's small detail. If there is a, a deficit with it, it'll be over long runs for sure with the tires. Aerodynamically, it you probably couldn't read the difference, but it makes a difference over that long run for the tire degradation, and that's such a big part of racing these days.
1: And of course, Ocon was in that car all day today. We'll see Fernando Alonso out tomorrow. He turned up in a press conference today, said he's got a few, uh, a few bits of titanium in his, uh, in in his face that he's going to have taken out at the end of, of the year. But otherwise, he seems to be all right after his cycling accident. So interesting to see how he gets on tomorrow. But Mark, before we get a bit more in depth with Gary, technically wise, anything really? Catch your eye, obviously lots of different floor designs out there, different approaches there.
3: I thought it was quite interesting, the ostensible similarity of the floor on the Mercedes on the Aston Martin. Um and I was um was wondering uh, did Gary think that was um that there might be a common denominator of being low rate cars? Is, is that gonna be part of the floor that you would um devote your attention to there on a on a low rate car?
2: Uh, yeah i mean it it could be um i I am a bit surprised they're so similar um, because it's you know it's not a simple uh, it's not a simple sort of thought part and it gets you there Uh, on most cars they have this turned up outside of the of the front of the floor in that first sort third third of the floor area they pull airflow through the front corner of the floor and generate some downforce in that area which sort of helps the front wing because it's it's slightly in front of the middle of the car, so it's its front downforce it generates. Um, but it also means a diffuser because the diffuser is a lot smaller than if you had a a free hand in designing one of these cars. You would not design a diffuser the size it is now. You design it much much bigger. Um, so the diffusers are a lot smaller than these cars would normally have. So you want to you know, you add all that together, the, the sort of front corner diffuser, the rear diffuser, and you add all that to the to the low pressure that's underneath the floor of the car. And it gives you the, the, the suction or the ground effect that you want to create downforce. Um, so because there is going to be more leakage under the floor than there was before, you're wanting to make that front corner work harder if you can, because the total sum of that low pressure underneath that big floor area is what you're trying to increase or decrease, if you want to call it, um so there's very few ways of doing that. You can't make a diffuser bigger. All these turning vanes that they have on the trailing edge of the diffuser they're all sort of extra to the height because they're inside the diffuser as so they they don't overhang the diffuser so they they turn the airflow above the diffuser and try to make the diffuser think it's bigger than what it really is um so whether it's you know whether it's pulling more airflow out of that front corner or generating vortexes that pull more airflow out of that front corner or help seal the rest of the floor, it's all the same thought pattern that you're trying to do. Um, Would that sort of fit with a a low-rate car more than a high-rate car? I don't don't see the reason for that, because if it does help seal the floor, the high-rate car will benefit from it as well, and maybe even more. If it does generate more downforce in that front corner, the high-rate car will benefit from it, and maybe even more again. So at the end of the day i think it's just ideas and how it's got to there now with the different solutions if you look at the back part of the uh the uh, Aston Martin against the M- the McLaren McLaren have got sort of the little more or less vertical turning vanes with a with a top element on it to try and turn that airflow up and and get it connected up to the to the rear brake duct um and on the on the uh, Aston Martin it's just got vertical turning vanes so Everybody's got their own interpretation. I think you know it'll take us maybe ten more or some before we see everything focusing in in one, more or less one direction. But now that you know the the lights are on, everybody can see everything. So uh, now we'll see who's um, scratching in the wind tunnel to try and create some bits even for for uh, Sunday in in Bahrain.
1: One of the things, Gary, that was suggested, I think Karine Chandock and Martin Brundle were apparently talking about this in the coverage, was that the high rate works because less control over the tyre squirt because you haven't got the subtlety in the floor and the slots and the the length. So could that be something that you're not sort of trading off so much anymore? You've lost something, so you might as well go with a high rake anyway.
2: Yeah, it's true. I mean, you know, the high rake does mean the diffuser itself is further away from the ground um, and the floor itself, you know, is is more angled to the ground. It will mean the centre of pressure of the underfloor is probably a bit further forward, um, which is, you know, no bad thing as such, but it's not necessarily that good a thing. Um, the problem is with the gap from the floor to the to the, to the the ground. If any team in the pit lane could close that gap up, they would. So it's a matter of the, the size of the gap between the side of the floor and the ground relative to the the amount you can accelerate the airflow underneath the car to give you the downforce. So you have to make those decisions as to whether one is the right direction or, or the other one. Now with a high rake, the tire squirt, as we call it, which is where the tire is turning onto the ground, and basically that airflow has to go somewhere. Um, you know, if you take, for example, a, a, a wet tire, it turns onto the ground. It has the grooves in there, but there's a huge amount of of water, and, and hence air can go through those grooves and out the back of the tire. So the tire squirt on a on a wet tire is a lot less than the tire squirt on a slick tire. Um, But whatever way, it doesn't really matter. The the air that's being squirted out around the sides of the contact patch of the tire is at very, very high velocity. And if you can get some mechanism that connects up the air on the top of the floor to that high-velocity airflow that's being squirted around the tire, then it will end up helping you as a seal. So it's all about, it doesn't matter whether it's high rake or low rake, it's all about trying to get that to happen. So I would say perhaps that the high rake itself... um, does generate potentially more downforce. It does give you a bit more room to manage that squirt, without the floor height being so restrictive. So maybe there's a little bit more room to make that squirt work better than there is with a low rate car, um, just because of the difference in the height at the back of the car. You're, you're talking about, you know, two maybe three centimeters difference. Nothing, nothing stupid. It looks a lot, but it's nothing stupid. But it's still enough to, to make sure that squirt. Is uh, going in the right place, to be honest. But it, you know, it's a lot of a lot of wind tunnel research before you you understand it completely.
1: Another car, Mark, we were looking forward to seeing technically was the was the Red Bull. I know Gary's been taking a close look at it there, but given the car came into its own as the day went on, looks like they have they have tackled at least some of their problems of last year, and that the changes they made at the rear seem to be at least basically working.
3: Well, yeah, and if you um. If you took the traits of that car, particularly at the start of the year, sort of this time last year, um, and put it in the situation it was in today, you, you I don't think it would have looked anything like as good as um today's car looked. So yeah, it appears that they've um they've certainly been able to to at least tame the worst characteristics of last year's car, but maybe kept the um the good points of it.
1: And Gary, you've been looking very closely at what they've been doing with the suspension. We'll probably have a piece on that on the race.com website. Don't forget the hyphen if you had there uh, in the morning. So what do you make about how they've achieved this Mercedes-esque rear suspension without quite having the necessary tokens to do all the changes they need to do it the full Mercedes way?
2: Well, as far as I'm aware, they haven't changed the gearbox case and they haven't changed the rear crash structure. So they've they've lived with what they got, um, unless anybody knows any different from that. They're very reluctant to uh, to tell us what they've done, but I think that's correct, Ed. Is that, is that correct at the moment?
1: Yeah, they won't admit what it is other than it's at the rear of the car. So that can be a number of things. Two tokens for the gearbox, two tokens for the crash structure, but there are other things. You can change rear suspension internals. That costs you tokens as well. So there's a lot of different things you can, you can do to, to spend it on, but they haven't said we don't know exactly what they've spent it on.
2: Well, I mean, we'll have to wait on the final facts. But what I sent in today to you was um, what I think they could have done with last year's suspension pickups, both in the gearbox and the crash structure, and made a package that was in the direction of what Mercedes did. Um, it's a sort of taking the front waistbone really and mounting it behind the, the, uh, the drive shaft. But with their package, they would have to come around the drive shaft. Now, you can do that inboard. Um, you've got a, a sort of leeway of a certain amount of distance between the and the inboard end and the outboard end of each of the wishbones, where you don't have to comply with the the regulation of three and a half, an aspect ratio of three and a half to one. Um, so they would have to have done that to come around the driveshaft and get into the the strong points on the gearbox. You know the loads would change for sure, um, but they wouldn't change stupidly. They're all still be in the same direction. Um, and they would have to maybe beef up a few bits here and there, and it might be a little bit inefficient making it structurally okay. But it could, it would, it could be done. Um, I think it'd be nice, you know, to do it correctly and to make an analysis correctly. You'd have to sit down and look at it all geometrically and try and work out the loads and see what the difference would be. But um, I think it could be done. Um, but if they have, you know, if they have changed the gearbox and the, and the and the crash box or one of those two, then they could do it very very easily. But they have definitely moved that forward wishbone leg rearward a lot. And it's a single link now, which means it's it's become the two link, which is normally behind the drive shaft. So I think they've achieved the goal. How they've achieved it we we really don't know yet.
1: Yeah, that's something that will probably become clear as the as the season goes on. One other I I wary of calling it a technical story, but it was the last car we hadn't seen. The Haas VF twenty one appeared this morning. Anybody want to get excited about that? Come oh, on, Mark, you can, you can try and find some positives in the uh, dramatically different Haas. A few little subtle changes, but they haven't even bothered to spend their tokens and pretty much what we expected, really, wasn't it, from a team that's just treading water this year?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's reshaped the sort of upper part, of the side pods and the engine cover, just like everybody else has this year. Um, looks like, you know, done a fully competent job there. The car ran a lot, a lot of laps today. Um Relatively trouble free by the look of it. So yeah, I mean, they were, they, they, they were very, very unambitious with this with this car. One day, so um, I, I guess the best you can say is um, it, it, it ran okay.
2: Yeah, for for me, there was <clears throat> two drivers out there today that, uh, that I think impressed me in general. One was Yuki Tsunoda, getting in, and and obviously after lunchtime, the sand on the track and that was was horrendous. But he was he was on it quick and and didn't make any mistakes. And uh, Nikita Mazapan. I mean, he definitely got on it as well. So doing the best job with what he's got, um, you could say was a you know was was the objective of today, and he and he definitely did that. So um, I think it's going to be one of those those sort of situations where the the battle between the two teammates is going to be uh, a pretty a pretty tight battle, to be honest, between the two uh, Haas drivers. And I think that's going to be their big big challenge for this year, just to see who which one of those two comes out on top. I think. Mazapan is much quicker to adapt than Mick Schumacher to a, situ- a situation because he just drives a bit more like a, a gorilla. He just gets in and does it. Um, whereas uh, Mick Schumacher seems to be a bit more of a planning driver. But uh, it would be interesting to see who who, who uh, gets to terms with it faster.
1: We hit the middle point of pre-season testing at lunchtime tomorrow. It's going past very quickly. So I thought I'd ask you both what you would like to see happening tomorrow in terms of some of the questions you want to see answered. I guess the first thing we want is slightly more stable and representative conditions, because that's what we need to answer those questions. But Mark, what are you looking forward to finding out?
3: Oh, I'd I'd like to see a straightforward comparison, straightforward um, run for run between um, the Mercedes and the Red Bull, and well, also the Aston and and uh, the McLaren as well, because they, they they look the the cars to um, that we should be. Uh, paying attention to uh, from what we've seen so far. So, yeah, I'd just like to get a better um, handle on, on where we are, really.
1: And how about you, Gary? I know one of your answers is going to be even more photos, detailed photos of certain parts of the car. and We're working on that. We'll get them. But uh, what else?
2: Yeah, there's quite a lot of detailed stuff we can still go through. But I think, you know, like Mark says, uh, you know, a good shootout. But I don't think we'll see a good shootout. I don't think anybody will bother because – in reality, you know, well, there will be people bothered, but there are not going to be people that are going to be sitting in the pole position, I don't think, um, come two weeks' time. But the, the real the real competition comes into the fact of learning as much about the car as you can. And it's about the consistency of lap time as well and how easy it is to do the lap time. If you can go out, you know, with a set of fresh tyres on and, and head out to do a lap, and you can do it on your first lap, then the car's very drivable. Um, the other thing I'd like to sort of look at is, is speed traps. I mean, we've got... Um, Today Danny Ricardo was was relatively the fastest. I mean Roy Nissany Nissani was, was faster than the Williams, but it doesn't relate to lap time. But Daniel Ricardo was at three three twenty nine point nine. Um and then you know we go down to Charles Leclerc, which is what, where we've been talking about Ferrari engines for quite a while. Um three twenty five point eight. So you know four kilometres between uh Leclerc's Ferrari and uh the Mercedes of, of Danny Ricciardo. But, you know, it's difficult to know because Hamilton was down in 3.22. Now, I'm pretty sure that Hamilton would be running a lot more fuel than uh, and Danny Ricciardo. And they never really got, took an opportunity to do a lap time. But we need to keep an eye on those straight line speeds because they are going to be important relative to um, the overall performance of the, of the engine, engine um, horsepower-wise and the car itself efficiency-wise. Ferrari, I don't think, have shown that they're quite where they should be yet. Um, but we'll see, I think it's it's a matter of watching how they trim the car to suit, how all the teams trim the cars to suit, and, and trying to get the best out of it as far as lap time and straight line speeds concerned. So it might be uh, Sunday before we find that when, the, when we have a day that's not quite so windy, not quite so sandy, and everybody's more attuned with the uh, the new car and the circuit, so we can look at uh, straight line speeds relative to lap time.
1: Yeah, I think Ferrari is quite an interesting one to get a, a feel for as well. They've clearly made gains with the engines, but not as much as they need to. So the real question for them is if they can get to the front of that midfield pat properly, which they absolutely have to do. So that's going to be one of the interesting questions to answer. You'll be able to follow it all on the race.com and don't forget the hyphen. There's loads to read on there. Mark Hughes time analysis, uh, loads of articles from Gary looking at the McLaren barge boards and the Haas and the detail of the Mercedes floor. So there's plenty to read there technically. And of course, Scott Mitchell who is our absent friend on this podcast, but will probably be back tomorrow, has been working away at all sorts of interesting things. And also tomorrow we'll have a live Q&A with Gary Anderson on the site. So post your questions on the article there and he'll do his best to get through them. So do keep listening to the podcast. We'll have one each day and also check out our sister titles like Bring Back V10s. And also take a look at our YouTube channel because there's loads to watch on there, including a video from the first day of testing that's If it's not published by the time you listen to this, we'll be very close to appearing. Thanks very much for listening. We'll be back tomorrow with more from Bahrain F1 Testing.